This week's episode of Tax Season is brought to you by Bevel. Life is short. Don't waste it with bumpy, uneven skin. Use a bevel and keep yourself smooth and groomed. It's the first and only shaving system designed for coarse, curly hair and sensitive skin. And Bevel wants you to look your best. So they're giving you the first month of your Bevel subscription for free. Go to getbevel.com slash tax season and sign up today. And say hello to the bad guy, tax season. We down here in Miami. Miami, Florida. Everybody, make sure you go to TaxSeasonLive.com and purchase um, my ticket. Um, I'm, um, I'm in D.C., I believe. Yeah, D.C., D.C. They hit me to do a show in Dubai, too. You know I'm going out there. I heard they shitting on people in Dubai for a couple thousand, and I need a couple thousand, so I'm going to go get shitted on by some Saudi um, royalty out there. You know what I mean? Take a quick shower and come back and give to the people. But um, Tax Season Live, um, Washington, D.C., November 15th at the Ark. Um, I heard that shit is in the hood too, so come through, man. Bring your pistols, you know what I mean? Um, it's nothing but love, you know what I mean? <laughs> Taxisalive.com. But yo, man, we here in Miami Beach right now. Um, with motherfucking Rico Love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What up, what up? Rico Love, the young legend that doesn't get enough credit, the right extraordinaire. You know what I mean? In great mind. I got this girl. She be sending me mad Rico Love like um videos in the morning. I had to curse the bitch out, man. I was, Yo, you know, send me another one of these motherfucker videos to my Rico Love be telling the truth. <laughs> Yo, Rico Love be telling the truth, though. You know what's crazy? People would reach out to me like, Yo, you got to do more videos. And I'm telling them, like, if it don't speak to me it's forced like so it's not like I wish yeah, every day it's day. natural you mean it that's why it comes across good but a lot of guys do that and we I mean not to point fingers at anybody but a lot of these Instagram or people that's famous on it they think every day like what can I say that'll make people and, I, and I'm just not one of those people I yeah. feel like if it's natural sometimes things I, I, I see or I go through things experience things I feel like should be shared with people and I'll share it but as far as just Waking up every day and just like, like what can I say that'll get me twenty five gram up today? Exactly. Yeah, I taught man. I I really I knew that the fuck the gram up thing was like a thing, but I really didn't know it was a thing. Like I heard people discussing it. Like I was like, nigga, what? You know, I've been around some of the biggest stars in the world that I would just looked at as like. Oh. And then you hear them talking about like Instagram posts and like you know oh yeah we need we should have got that for the gram and you're like damn like that's crazy kind of throws yeah, you yeah, off because yeah. you look at these people with a In certain, certain light, yeah. respect or a certain regard and you're like wow you like a 16 year old bitch like that's, yeah that's really crazy I just did an interview recently somebody was interviewing me for some some newspaper like the, two days ago and they 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 asked me it was like yo you seem like you didn't have respect for a lot of artists. When you started off, and it seems like you like you still like at the end. And I was like, nah, you know, I'm just a fan, so I'm just speaking from a fan standpoint yeah. with certain things. But when you meet these dudes, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, yes, yeah. you might stop being yeah, a fan. Yeah, you'll stop being a fan. And fast. you know what? Instagram, I told social media is it's a, it's a good platform, but it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody doesn't know how to articulate themselves. Everybody doesn't know how to make themselves look good. What yeah. they might be thinking makes themselves look good, but you might be making themselves look stupid. Yeah, I always so tell people Insta- social media is like guns. Mm. You're like they're not bad. It's just that in the wrong hands, you mm. get ridiculous. So I feel like they're all used for the, the purpose that they should be used for. If they're used for the purpose they should be used for, mm. everybody can benefit. If not, you just got a lot of people with their fucking heads blown up. You know. So let's get into Rico Love. 
you from Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and you was spent time in Louisiana. I was born in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. I grew up in uh, Milwaukee. Went to high school in Milwaukee. My father's from New York. I grew up in New York as well. Mm-hmm. So um, being back and forth from New York to Milwaukee as a kid is kind of like my childhood. Mm-hmm. Went to high school in Wisconsin and Milwaukee, and that's kind of like where I kind of got the core of who I am. I think where I learned so much. There's a lot of toughness, there's a lot of tenacity. When people think about Milwaukee, they think, um, you know, milk and cheese and Laverne and Shirley. But they don't know it's like one of the most most dangerous places in America. I think mm-hmm. after the riots, I think people kind of got a glimpse of what it's like in Milwaukee. So mm-hmm. when you when you think about places like Chicago and Detroit, you got to mention Milwaukee in that same conversation because it's like identical to those places as far as the energy, as far as the, the gang, uh, the gang violence and the gang uh, association and affiliations that are there and they mm-hmm. kind of transcend through those cities. So yeah, yeah, Milwaukee is like really a tough place that people I feel like don't really understand mm-hmm. to a certain degree. You know? Shout out to all the niggas in Milwaukee, man. If I ever disrespected you, I apologize. <laughs> I wasn't fully informed <laughs> on what was going on out there. <laughs> yeah, you, take, you take everything ultra personal. Now I respect every hood, you know what I mean? Because, you know, people swear like you know, they hood is the toughest and shit like that. And I'd be like, listen, man, it's, hood, it's lions everywhere. What you, what you got to understand, too, the people you got to be most afraid of is the guys in the suburbs. Yeah. Because they got a lot more to prove. Got like, a lot to prove. They, like, they the guys who, like, when I was a kid, um, when you're upstate, like, my father, he, he lives in Poughkeepsie. He's from Harlem. But mm-hmm. when you, when I, I spent a lot of time at Albany and Queemans and, you know, so those guys are the real killers. Those are the craziest motherfuckers because they wanted to fit in and, and be like the city so bad. That they'll do anything. So no, that's know, a fact. So beware of all the places that you think might be pussy, because those are the places where. Oh, guys. you know, many of New York niggas have lost their lives in these towns, <laughs> oh, yeah. thinking they was going to run some shit. Absolutely. <laughs> Next to you, know, you see it now on Instagram. Niggas yeah. be getting wings real fast that's when they go out of town. Be like, holy shit, he wasn't out there a week. Exactly. And earned himself some Instagram wings. Man, Listen, man, t-shirt. take Instagram wings out your diet. Exactly. <laughs> you don't want that. You don't want that. No. But um, Jagged Edge, that was one of your influences? Oh, yeah. Coming up in the game, that's kind of, those are guys who mentored me when I was really young. When I was 17 years old, I went down to Atlanta. I went to college at FAMU, mm-hmm. Florida. So when I went to Tallahassee, I would catch the bus to Atlanta every weekend trying to make it into business. And those were some of the first guys I met in the game. So sitting under them. Watching them write, watching them work every single day, like literally every single day, they would they would be on the road. Because when I met met them was where when where the party had took off. So when they were like, damn, yeah, they things. was lit. Yep. So when they weren't working on the road, they was in the studio every single day, and it was something. That's how I learned my work ethic. Jermaine Dupri is the same way, and he is the one who mentored and taught them. Mm-hmm. So watching them, watching Beacox, watching Jazzy Faye, watching those guys, creatively, it was never. A dull moment. You would never stop. And and the time you be in the studio with them, and you hear the most incredible song ever. And the next day you hear you hear another one, and that one that you heard the day before was is terrible to you now. Mm-hmm. It was just the, the level of work that goes into making one complete album or one complete song. It like you write twenty songs in a month, and five of those songs are just incredible. Yeah, you know, I've been telling so artists that like you got to swing. Yeah, that's why a lot of guys are like, "Yo, let's get in the studio this week and we can knock out the project." It's like, but it, it don't work like that. And I think a lot the game has turned into that to where we're forcing ourselves to like things that we, we may not necessarily love really like. Season, <laughs> you know what I mean? Jesus, speak to the children. Because I think a lot of guys they they disrespect the process. So it's not because you know it's it's a it's a 
desire to be famous as opposed to a desire to be great. And I was around guys who really just wanted to be great. When you watch Brandon and Brian Casey from Jagged Edge writing these songs, um, and me being growing up, even, even watching Usher and how he, his, his, his process in creating a project, you understood that he cared less about making $100 million this year than he did about just killing everybody. Mm-hmm. When he saw Justin Timberlake in his mind, he was like, I want to destroy Justin Timberlake. Mm-hmm. And I respect that mindset as opposed to a person whose mindset is, I want to shit on these bitches. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what a, a rapper is thinking nowadays. Uh-huh. Like when, when DMX would look at Jay-Z, he saw food. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't like, no, oh, I want I want to had a dopest card. He looked at Ja Rule and, and, and Jay and the locks and everybody. He looked at them like, I want to kill them. Yeah. I want to. I want competition. Exactly. See a check. I wish that this culture was about that. This culture now. And, and people get it. And let's just get all the way into it because I feel like people get so upset at, um, at, uh, Pete Rock, right? Mm-hmm. Pete Rock said some shit and he was going at, uh, 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 Rich Homie, I think, and he was coming at a bunch of people. Yeah. It's like this, right? If you had a girl that you really love and you and this girl may not be on the best terms right now, but you care for her so much and she cares for you. Yeah. yeah and you yeah. break up with her, but y'all kind of still cool. And a new guy comes along and he's fucking with your bitch, right? And you're like, cool. I, I ain't going to trip. It's, you know, and he treats her like shit and he tells her, he don't tell her he love her. Mm-hmm. He don't, Tell her she's beautiful. Yeah, he, don't he, doesn't, he doesn't do his homework and research who she is so he can know how to better treat her. You looking from the outside, you're like, that's fucked up because if I had her, like I want to have her, I would do all of these things. That's how we feel about hip hop and a lot of guys feel about a lot of the older guys who aren't really as relevant anymore. That's how when they look at a guy who has everything and you're like, bro, you got it. Why don't you just appreciate it? Um, it's, it's a problem when a guy say he don't know no Jay-Z songs. You know what I mean? Because it's like, it's that's difficult to digest to somebody who understands and respects the culture. A person who would buy albums from artists that he didn't even like. I, I come mm-hmm. from that era. From being like, oh, well, let me just check out the album because everybody listens to it. Let me just check it out. Mm-hmm. Now was the era of, I don't listen to nobody. I don't do my homework on anybody. <coughs> I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. And this is about what I do and what I'm into. And, and the only way we can be great in anything is understanding the people that came before us. If you don't understand that, then you don't respect yourself because the only way to be um, iconic. And, and, and that's the problem. A lot of guys don't give a shit about being iconic. Mm-hmm. They just want to get their money right now and they just want to keep it moving. Yeah, and if that's yeah, what you're into, that. I don't even want to say that's cool, but that's your thing. I just wish that people understood the passion that goes into really being great. So to get but back you to know, the- You know, I noticed though, sometimes, sometimes motherfuckers going to have lemonade stands. And sometimes niggas gonna own simply lemonade. Exactly. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. And some not niggas just want the lemonade stand. Yeah, not understanding that you're gonna look up and you're gonna see a hundred lemonade stands on your block and you're gonna mm-hmm. be like, oh shit, what do I do now? Or you've been selling the same type of lemonade for, for the past exactly. two years, which, which is an incredible run if you're getting 150, 200,000 a night. Yeah. Cool. But at the end of the day, that, that 16 crew entourage you got to run around with, that you, that you got to take care of, the management you got to pay, you got you need the crew because you've been talking so much wild, reckless shit that you don't really do. So now you got to keep the people, <laughs> you keep yeah. the people around and make sure you're safe. And, mm-hmm. and then before you know it, your spending habits and your bills is 90000 a month. You got two, three cribs. You got your side joint. You got to take care of. Before you know it, you, you have, have a couple bad years. And you're looking crazy because mm-hmm. you didn't invest in the culture and you didn't really care about the culture. Exactly. It's not going to pour back into you. People don't care as much about you as they once did. So um, 
say what you will about um, Jeezy right now, or say what you will about you know, uh, are they as relevant as they used to be? But the process was they respected the process and they put in work to respect the process. So no matter what. They have a certain group of people who respect them a different way. Yep. Will they do the same numbers as they used to do? Probably not, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, they have a core audience of people yep. who respect and see them as creatives. You know what I mean? That's like, a and fact. that's a crazy yeah. thing to say about Jeezy because in the beginning, we didn't see Jeezy that way. Yeah. Over time, you saw the process and you understood. The only way he was able to consistently make these themed albums, when you thought about Thug Motivation, those themed albums, they were really consistent in the story, yeah. in the dialogue. It was consistent. It was really thug motivation. It was songs that were really encouraging people to get money. <laughs> That's a fact. Yeah. So these were concept-driven records and concept-driven mm -hmm. albums that people were doing back then that they're not doing anymore. And these kids are just waking up and they're just saying, okay, uh, uh, light bulb, light bulb, mm -hmm. light bulb, light bulb, light bulb, light bulb, light bulb, light bulb, get it, light bulb. And they're like, oh, that's the new way. Mm -hmm. Not understanding that you will become Hanson so fast. You become the Jonas Brothers so fast. And when I say that, I mean, worst thing to be is a star that's resented by the people that used to love them. When you're resented, that means that girls look back and they say to themselves, I can't believe how much I liked Hanson. Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous how much we like the Jonas Brothers. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Now, they might like Nick Jonas now, but they resent how much they love certain things. Yeah. That's what you will be. And that's the worst place to be, mm -hmm. to be Vanilla Ice. You know what I mean? I don't care how hot you feel like you are now. When a person matures, when that 19-year-old girl really start dating a real man and start being around a nigga who really know how to talk to her, how to put her in a place, she going to look at you as a little boy. And you don't understand the shift. And you understand progression. When, when you like, oh, yeah, I wake up at 3 o'clock every day and I smoke all day and I drink all day and all I do is fuck bitches and talk about money, that's cool. But then she going to look at Jay and guys like that from that era and she going to be like, but that's what a man is, a nigga who wake up and say, how can I make a billion dollars today? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Exactly. So so I think this era is lost in that because they don't care about greatness. They just care about the moment. And we get too caught up in the moment and we can be spontaneous and we can enjoy the, the time we living in. But at the end of the day, if you're not thinking about greatness and about further growing the culture and about being amazing. Me, I just want to be the yeah, I think a nigga part of that shit really come from our education. Oh, absolutely. Like uh, the lack of education that we have. But, but even, but even, but, but you understand, it's not even just education as far as schools. It's about self-education and the desire to improve your mind, your yourself. Yeah. So going to school is one thing, but be able to, it's a mindset that we had that was different than most because what we were doing was not accepted and was not cool. Mm -hmm. So one thing about me, I've never ever. I've won songwriter of the year three years in a row. I've had more hits than most people who you would think was on the top of the game. I probably had more hits than them. But the difference between me and most people is my hits didn't come in the club. So I didn't. I wasn't the cool hit maker. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like if a nigga had a hundred club records, they seemed like he was getting more money than me when he wasn't because he had the clubs. Yeah, me, yeah. I had just so many radio smashes and really real songs it w it wasn't as cool as somebody who had you know the yeah. hot rap song in a club tonight you know yeah. to have heart attack and 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 you know just a dream by nelly and sweet dreams beyonce those wasn't clubs you heard uh, songs you heard and live every week so yeah. people didn't respect it as much that's the same way it was with hip-hop in the era hip-hop hip-hop wasn't as accepted it started becoming cool Towards the the shift when when Hard Knock Life and Rough Riders came together with with, with Jay mm -hmm. and when Bad Boy was kind of like on a little bit of a decline, but, but it was like it was a struggle 
for us to be accepted. And that's why the work was so intense. That's why people wanted to work so hard because you didn't walk out your house every day and the whole pop culture was like, I want to dress like you, look like you, talk like you, act like you. Mm. Now, no matter what, you look at hip-hop culture, you see the influence that it has on people. You see how Justin Bieber, even even though he'll distance himself from us because it might not be good for his image and his brand, he won't distance himself from the image or the look. You understand? That gives people a certain level of arrogance that we didn't, we weren't able to have. And, and coming up, I'm gonna even say we because I was a kid watching. We were like grinding to try to make it. We were grinding so hard to be accepted, and they're automatically accepted. Everybody wants to be like them and look like them and talk like them, act like them, smoke what they smoke and drink lean and mm. do all this shit. I remember I'm hearing Beans talk about it. He was like, "Bro, when I was drinking syrup, nobody was drinking syrup. Like that wasn't mm-hmm. the thing to do. Niggas was looking at them like." No, but you know, like, that's what, another reason why I was a Beans fan. I always tell people, I used to hustle in Allentown, Pennsylvania. That's regular things, them doing opiates. Oh, I yeah, say opiates, yeah. I mean every type of pill yeah. and any type of syrup. So I used to sip syrup and shit like that back in the day. Yeah, so I, don't, I could that, talk about it now and tell you, nigga, you don't want to do, do that. that. Yeah, But when you see that, you understood that this person was doing that because they genuinely wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. I can't respect an era of kids who just saying, I'm going to do this because another nigga said No, they said it because a nigga rhymed it real well. Yeah, so, it's mixed so, the lean with the Fanta, uh, the uh, future with uh, those other shit. The, what do you call it? I forgot. But so, so now kids are doing things because it's in. Yeah. Like tattoos. When I was a kid, bro, if you seen a nigga tatted from head to toe, you know, bro, don't fuck with that nigga. <laughs> now it's like, I see a nigga tatted head to toe, like, bro, you slap fire from this nigga, bro. Especially like, if niggas with eight tattoos on their face. Exactly. You gotta smack them. It's like, so, to. <laughs> so the game is changing. The and people, I'm like, do y'all understand? Like, when we explain these things, it's so clear to me. I don't understand how it can be missed. Yeah. I don't understand how it can be misunderstood because it's just the era of we do things because we feel it and we want to do it as opposed to I'm doing this because everybody else is doing it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I lose respect for so many incredible legends when I see them following trends, and I'm like, I should be sad, bro, right? You're too old to be doing. You look ridiculous. I'm you 33 years old, guys. I'm 33 years mm-hmm. old, right? When I was a kid, Puff was 33, and I didn't look at Puff as old when mm-hmm. I was a kid. You know what I'm saying? You know how we looked at Puff back in the day. We didn't look at Diddy and Jay and them as old niggas. Mm-hmm. Me at 33, niggas look at me as an old nigga. Yeah, which is crazy to me. Which is nuts to me because we always looked at it like, oh, this nigga. I look at. If you look at me and you're an up-and-coming songwriter, producer, artist even, I would look at what I've done and say to myself, well, I got to salute Holmes. I would never come out of my face and say, oh, he OG or he old school. Now I'd be like, but the nigga 33, he, he did some incredible shit. He got Grammys. He sold hundreds of millions of albums. Mm-hmm. And he wrote on some incredible projects. He made some timeless records that still play to this day. The catalog is official. I would look at it and say, but I can't do nothing but respect it. But now niggas is like, oh, bro, that's OG status. That's no, OG. you you know, listen, you mm-hmm. old. You know why you old? I'm gonna tell you why right, right now. You old because these niggas go. It's gonna be a nigga that come out. He made four records, and that's all I know. Oh, oh yeah, he hotter than you. Exactly, he yeah. hotter than you. Automatically, he's so you, you're old yeah, head yeah, nigga. Exactly, exactly. you old head. You that nigga ain't hot like him because yeah. he he knew he exactly. in that face. So I, I just had an argument with a kid the other day who told me that um uh. Lil Wayne need to stick to his own style and stop, stop trying to steal Young Thug style. So he said, <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Yeah. Little Wayne? He, he probably was serious. He was dead serious. Yeah, he probably was serious. And, and I was so happy when I saw Young Thug tweet 
Because, you know, Wayne don't fuck with Thug. Yeah. But I saw a Thug tweet, which is some real shit. If you tweet a nigga and he don't fuck with you, but you're still 100. Yeah, he's like. That's my idol. Yeah. I look up to him. I hate that we don't. I hate that he don't like me. I wish he did. Because he don't realize how much I look up to him. I just want us to be friends. Mm-hmm. I respected Thug so much after that because I'm like, that's a maturity thing. Because I could do that. A mm-hmm. nigga is mature when you can say to yourself, even though you don't fuck with me. I can't say nothing bad about you because you're my hero. Yeah. You know what I mean? You could hate me for whatever reason, but you're my hero, bro, and I hate that we're not cool. Instead of being an immature motherfucker. So I did an interview. I did an interview where I said I felt like, like Cam was a rat. And then I did an interview after that, and they was like talking with me, and I was like, I love Cam. And they was like, but wait, you called Cam? I said, yeah, I still felt like he ratted in that situation, but I love Cam. Yeah, like, yeah. I can't lie. Like, yeah. I, I know more Cam lyrics probably than a lot of niggas. Like, exactly. Exactly. You know what I mean? But yeah. just, you know, you dislike one thing about it's a person. A certain, but but I think it's a certain level of maturity where you can say to yourself, I, um, like, I, I, I went on a rant crazy about Lil Wayne a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago on Twitter. Like, I was going, like, I don't understand how anybody could disrespect Lil Wayne. I went on the same rant about Bow Wow. And I was mm-hmm. like, people say, how Bow Wow retiring, he's never been nothing. And I'm like... Yeah, I, I, I was saying the I'm same like, shit. I you seen you going after that. I was like, like... How can you disrespect Bow? Like, he's the first black artist to shut down malls everywhere he went. Mm-hmm. This wasn't normal. This wasn't like, oh, a, a kid, a kid walking down the street... For like five or six years, bro. Mm-hmm. For like for maybe seven years, Bow Wow had it so on lock. Mr. 106 in Park, because he was literally number one every time he put out a record. This nigga walked down the street, shut shit down. This was the, I don't want to name names, but he was fucking some star bitches down here in Miami in the Bugatti picking up bitches that y'all see mm-hmm. married to niggas now. Like, mm-hmm. the, and, and you look at it and you're like, hold on, how can you disrespect this kid? Bow Wow is a legend. Yeah. How can you? Now, I had now, been put that together a oh, couple years back. I thought about it. I had to assess the nigga. Oh, shit. I said, Bow Wow is a legend. He's a legend. Word. Now, in the same breath, I can say Bow Wow is a fucking idiot. Yeah. For saying shit like, black racism don't affect me because I'm halfway. Like, <laughs> or, or when Lil Wayne says you shit know, like. You kind of dumb. You get yeah, yeah, when Lil Wayne says shit like, I, well, I, I don't know about racism. I'm blessed. But I'm like, but all the videos and songs you did about America and about racism, like, are you serious? So I can be honest enough to say, yes, you're a legend, you're incredible. Also, I think that what you said was fucking ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So I think this era is lost in that. When it comes to just any disagreement, people yeah. don't know how to just say, I-, I love you as a person and what you do, but I think that your views are stupid. I said Meek Mill freestyle was fired the other day. Niggas was going in on me on my tweets. Oh, you dick rider. I thought you didn't like Meek. And I said, nigga, I said I didn't like what Meek did. I said I didn't like what the fuck is wrong with you. Yeah, like, you know. So that means that he can never do anything great Exactly. Again. And that's the problem with our culture today. Even with this birth of the nation thing, people are like, "Oh, Nate Parker, I'm not going to see." Bro, they they literally allow white people to convince them not to go see Birth of a Nation. This nigga did yeah. 7.1 million. Yeah, the first. I weekend. told motherfucker, I said, "Listen, I don't give a fuck who Nate Parker raped." And I, listen, I, I want to say this right now. Listen, I'm not I'm not a rape activist. Nah, I'm not for none it. of that. But one thing I've learned about our culture is that we abandon everybody at the first wrong thing they do. And these white people, these motherfuckers be out here pedophiles, and all types of shit. we ride with them because we and, don't have the way with them to even find out. people are there. Exactly. They ride, they get bells. Like, you know what I'm saying? Listen, we can't. First of all, if let's be totally We can't clear, keep neglecting Nate our retards. Was a, first of all, if Nate Parker is a, is a rapist... Mm-hmm. I'm a rapist, you're a rapist, everybody was a rapist. Because what they did was, and let's be 100 percent I don't know the exact story. What the was the story? The exact story was he was fucking with a girl, he fucked her, she was drunk, he told his man to go in the room. 
how many oh shit well i've been i've been in the midst of that i can so, honestly say i never did it because i was always scared like always I, my whole entire I'm life i'll be honest with you <laughs> you know what i mean yeah so and there's a lot of guys in this world mm-hmm. who would take that same moment of silence i asked today man on say, twitter what was rape culture because so what it is is this right and this is wrong if a woman is drunk and she's incoherent do not have sex with her like you know, like this is just don't do it. I, yeah. I tell people all the time, my little homies, bro, stop running trains on girls. Yeah, my man had to tell you when I went on tour, my rule on tour with me, but don't bring them bitches on the bus yep. because all it takes is for you. But you understand, first of all, about black people, this is how we are. If today, right, right now, um, if I tweet right now without no evidence, no facts, or anything, just me tweeting, yo, I was at the studio just now with tax, and I just saw a tax raping a bitch. This nigga's a rapist. Nobody's gonna say. Well, let me get tax side of the story. Yeah, that's let a me fact. Get with, let me make sure. Ah, this nigga's a rapist. I can't support no rapist. You raping bitches, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Nobody's going to say that taxes in Switzerland right now. Exactly. Nobody's Bro, gonna... my man Freddie Gibbs just went through it, right? So yeah, Freddie Gibbs calls me. That's my man. So he's like, uh, I said the tweet. I say, I support my man Freddie Gibbs. If he if if he, if if he didn't have anything to do, because I don't know. Mm-hmm. I said, if he ain't have nothing to do with this, y'all going to all feel crazy. Because this is, I support Holmes because that's my man. And I hope he ain't have nothing to do with this shit. And nobody, I, lo- I noticed it was like silence throughout the community. Same people who was always, oh, Freddie, my man, like saying nothing because they're so afraid. Yeah. And no, they're, they're, afraid, they're afraid of, um, they're, no, they're not they're afraid. They're afraid of how the white person that, that hires them is going to look at them. On, they don't want to say out, out loud, because people asked me about it and I didn't say anything because I was like I don't know shit so yeah. I'm not saying exactly. nothing I said nothing at all yeah. but when I seen that he got he got vindicated I said I spoke, God fucking bless and when I spoke to him he said to me Sharik I wasn't even there bro like it's the craziest thing in the world I wasn't even there but the fucked up part about rape is a touchy subject is because people are so angry like even with the Nate Parker situation they say on the, on the transcript I read the transcript basically they said he was stalking her after she accused him of rape. She was stalking her. Mm-hmm. And he was following her to her classes and waiting for her to come out of her classes. If somebody accused me of raping him, who I know. Let's say there's a girl you fuck all the time. Mm-hmm. And out of nowhere, she like, oh, tax raped me. Him and his friend raped me. And I know where she at. I'm a, She not answering her phone. She at class right here, bro. We going to wait at the class. And I'm going to be like, yo, what's up? Like, let, mm-hmm, we need to yeah. talk. Mm-hmm. What's going on? He wasn't waiting outside of class with five bitches to jump her. Mm-hmm. He was out there. Him and his man was like, yo, we need to talk because you're these are serious allegations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was dodging him, running out the back door, putting restraining orders out. So all people see is a restraining order. They see this. They don't understand, like, the other side of it. But this is so what I want to get. Day, they say, he beat the case. Beat and this is case. in America, all this innocent shit. Come but all the niggas pop was, up and they like, I'm not supporting Nate Park. But Shut it, the but fuck like, up, he beat motherfucker. The, he beat the case. Go watch the movie five times. Exactly. Five times. Exactly. Take your kids five more. Exactly. That's our problem. We don't support, we don't each, support other. each other. We don't support each other. We don't support shit. And we'll, like, we'll easily be talked out of something like, First of all, Nate Parker did a lot of movies. When he did that bullshit fake bodyguard movie that just came out a couple years ago. Yeah, ain't nobody, nobody say shit. Nobody brought up no rape allegations. When he come birth, like of nation, birth of a trying nation, to wake up, sudden, trying to wake up a nation all of a sudden. Up. Y'all remember that he was a rapist and he, he beat a case. And the people who's totally against him is these white supremacists online. I look at them. These guys, I'm starting to really understand who they are. There's a lot of these guys on on, Insta, on Twitter. Um, Cause I'm locked out of my Instagram, so I've been on Word. Twitter heavy lately. <laughs> so um, just to be able to see these, I'm starting to get familiar with them. I'm like, yo, you notice how these guys pounce on 
any black man who has accused of something. Even with the Bill Clinton shit, it's like, all right, cool, 40 years ago, a chick said he raped her. And now he's a rapist? Mm -hmm. But it's just her word against his. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. do I know if he did it or not? I don't know. But I do know that the hotel says they have no proof and no, she never registered into their hotel. She never uh, was a guest. Bill Clinton never came into the hotel on that day that she said he came. He has an alibi for where he was. It's just some chick. She started crying and everybody's like, oh, he's a rapist. But not realizing, but people lie. Is she a liar? I, don't I know. asked that today. I said, is lying about a man raping you a part of rape culture? Come on, yo. Like, do we have a support group for that? Come on, yo. People lied on me so much. It's, you know, you'd be surprised the type of shit that women have said about me. I mean, mm -hmm. not nothing to that extreme. Yeah. But she'd be like, it's not even close to the truth. Like, this ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And then a year later, you see them and they're like, oh, we just want to thank Rico for help. He'd be like, but if I did all these horrible yeah, things yeah, to you. Yeah. So people don't even look and think about things like that. They just kind of like, whoever says it first, we believe. Today's episode of Tax Season is brought to you by our newest sponsor, Mafia 3. Picture it, 1968. New Bordeaux, Louisiana. The rules of organized crime have changed. After years of combat in Vietnam, Lincoln Clay knows this truth. Family isn't who you're born with, it's who you die for. When his surrogate family, the black mob, is slaughtered by the Italian mafia, Lincoln builds a new family on the ashes of the old and blazes a path of the military-grade revenge through the brutal criminal underworld responsible. Developed by Hangar 13 and 2K Games, this open-world experience lets you take control of Lincoln Clay's narrative as he works to tear down the mob in New Bordeaux, a reimagined version of the 1968 New Orleans. This is Mafia 3, and it's available now on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. But check it out. You can enter to win a copy of Mafia 3 today. Just go to MafiaGame.com slash tax season for a chance to win. That's Mafia 3. Pre-order now on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Available now. Rated M for Mature. Be safe though. Tax season. Yeah, some bitch. Some I bad. took a nap in the middle of the day. I wake up on Twitter and some bitches like yeah, so then I asked my gay friend, what's this guy's name? And he's like, Tax Stone. And I'm like, Tax Stone. So then I decided to look him up. And I found out he's this popular guy who interviews rappers. And he was, and when my friend told him he was a transvestite, he said, cool, I still want to fuck you in the ass. So I'm reading this shit. I'm laughing. I'm like, I'm reading this shit like, bitch, what? So I'm reading this shit. And it's just mad funny because it sounds like all the, all the niggas fuck trainees. Stories, I started like feeling like, damn, maybe a lot of you niggas is getting lied on. Exactly. But I'm reading the story, and the bitch like, so I just want you ladies to know, we don't know what he has or what type of diseases, and because he's on kick and he's definitely on the DL. Why the fuck would I have my picture on kick trying to fuck transvestites on the DL? How is that on the DL? But, but anything. That <laughs> If it makes sense, it's just a wait. You know what I mean? But I see people that I know bro, when I was, with eyes under bro, T. Bro, I, went to I said, look, this niggas I want went, me to bro, be gay. I went to family. I said, if I was gay, I'd be gay, nigga. I'm not you, <laughs> pussy. I went to family. <laughs> and I tell this story a lot to my friends. But I went to family and it was a popular football player. And this gay dude came and walked past him and grabbed his dick. You know, Holy his shit. Kids. Pound the nigga out crazy. Like, in front of everybody on the set, he beats the shit out of the gay dude, right? The gay dude says, he beat me up because I break, I broke up with him. I don't want to be with him no more. So, what you got to understand is, 
I knew the girl I was dating at the time. She was heavy in the, around the gay guys. She knew it was a lie, and the gay dude told her, like, yo, yeah, I just said that because he beat me up, so that's not my only way to get at him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, bro, this, it's, a, it's a, really a lie. It's not true. It's definitely a lie. Mm-hmm. And it ruined him throughout the school. Like, it was like everywhere he went, it was like, oh, you know, any girl he dated, people would be like, Oh, you know he fuck with niggas. Yeah, 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 right. And everybody would be able to say, I witnessed him on the set beating this dude up. Not realizing, homeboy walked past him and patted his pants in yeah. front of his pants. And, you know, niggas don't know how to handle that. I'm not sure how I would handle That's that. sexual harassment. Exactly. You expect so, a woman to slap you if you yeah, grab a pussy, yeah, right? Exactly. You know, <laughs> some, some Trump shit, right? Yeah. So, so, I just look at situations and what I, I, I would encourage black people especially to do is just say to yourself let me look at this before I, I make a comment like when you I, my favorite thing to do when I'm when I'm bored is to read the comments on Shade Room like like the things that shit is top bro, five like funny you, shit you when you ever. read these women and the things that they're saying about no, when I see niggas baby mothers under there arguing people it's just that'd like, be the funniest <laughs> shit I'd be like this who like, you married you married a woman arguing them ball alert comments come on <laughs> But it's the craziest thing in the world. The point is, when you see it, it's like, it's, it's no reason. It's no logic. It's nobody there to say, well, maybe this is a lie. Because mm-hmm. like, maybe some... I, once I asked, I said, is every, has, if, retweet this have, if you've ever been lied on. That's back in the day when the hashtag retweet this was like, oh, yeah. retweet this if you've ever been lied on. Maybe 2,000, 3,000 retweets. And I said, but why is it so difficult for you to believe that somebody else is lying on another person? Oh, or, for instance, if you if you talk about, um, think about it, Meek, let's say Meek, let's say Ross, let's say Drake, let's say every rapper in their hometown is a nigga who run around and say they pussy and say they, yeah. I run to, he's pussy and I did this and he's this and I hate this nigga, everybody, nobody fuck with him. But then when you go to another nigga and you see another nigga talking bad about Meek, you'll be like, oh, they hating. But they'd be like, bro, but that's what you're doing to, to the nigga in your city. Exactly. Like you, But you don't, you're not able to see... Mm-hmm. So as people, we got to be able to just look at things and say, I don't know if that makes sense. You know, or just be honest enough to say, I don't want to pass judgment because I don't know all the facts. Or yeah. to say something like, oh, tax, you know what? I figured he was like gay niggas anyway because he be talking all that shit about niggas all the time. Yeah. That's not good enough. Bro. That's no, not that's... enough evidence to prove that somebody is a download. No, like, people, <laughs> people want, you gotta, what I've learned is that people gonna believe any negative about oh, you. Yeah. It's the positive that they won't believe. Come on, yo. You understand? The negative is gonna that's get the, all of the, that's what they not gonna believe. The negative is gonna get all the press. Yeah. And as soon as the rebuttal comes and it's the facts come out, mm-hmm. it'll be like swept under the rug. And mm-hmm. then you'll see people comment, oh, he probably paid them to say that. It's like, God damn it. And so no, yeah. no matter what, the truth can never be the positive part. It's always got to be the negative. No, part. it's true. Cause you know I don't give a fuck about no group, like no group of people. I don't care, like blacks. I don't care about none of you motherfuckers, black, <laughs> white. So when I I talk my shit, yes, I'm talking my shit to all you niggas. How I feel? It don't. I'm not no no color person. You yeah. know what I mean? If you got an issue with somebody, you just got an issue with them. Person. Yeah. I, I I like to deal with people on a case-by-case basis. I'll be honest with you, I'm very pro-black and I really feel like I sh- it's my my obligation to stand up for black people because mm-hmm. we definitely have been dealt the disadvantage in this country, in this world. But and we're I'm not educated enough. And we I don't def- know. We don't know who we are. That's why niggas yeah. is bugged so, out right that's now. That's why it upsets me. So I stand out against, uh, you know, police brutality and fucked yeah. up shit like that. I, I I hate when white people say things like, or even black people, 
I remember in my ignorance years ago, I remember I said something like um, when the whole Trayvon thing happened, I said, but we got to stop killing each other, though, Mm -hmm. because that will give us less of a we got less of an argument when we keep killing each other. And then I I had to retract that. And I had to think to myself, the difference is when we kill each other, we go to jail. Mm -hmm. And when they kill us, they don't. And that's the argument. And let's forget. And the argument is bigger than that. The argument really is that. We're put in a position to have to kill each other. Yeah. See, because niggas so don't sell drugs on the corner in Bel Air. Exactly. You know, in our neighborhoods, this is where it's going down. At. Exactly. So this is why we getting we getting it's, it's cowboy and Indians no house again. Parties and yeah. Coming and got a whole back room and they sell it like it's a Sears catalog. <laughs> That's how they do it over uh-huh. there. On yeah. our block, it's like, bro, get off my block because this is our block. Yeah. And, but you got to pay rent. But on this this culture, I think violence has been taught so heavily in this new era. Where it has nothing to do with even getting money. That's the crazy. Well, you know part. what it is? It's, it's, a lot of these kids just killing each other just because of some that's small, true, tiny. But everything that goes on with us in our communities comes from slavery. From oh, yeah, poverty. oh, yeah. Absolutely. Us being in poverty Bro. is the reason. Because I was in West Virginia and I'm watching white, like the white poor neighborhoods and I'm like, holy shit, what's this? A white version of Brownsville? Oh, yeah. Like I'm watching them outside arguing. There's a documentary about these. Motherfuckers, the, KKK yeah. on drugs, though. These the fiends. They yeah. on drugs. Yeah. KKK. Yeah, yeah. Nah, that I. Oh, these niggas is crackheads. What you gotta understand, though, is it's a systematic. Thing. Mm-hmm. So if you think about projects, what does the word project mean? It means experiment, mm-hmm. housing experiment. So when you look at how the way a project is set up, my grandmother lived in East River Housing Project in Harlem for 35, 40, 40 years. Mm-hmm. So when you go into the projects, there's a steel gate, steel door, it slams shut, you turn the lock. There's a, back when I was growing up, it was curfew on the projects. You mm-hmm. couldn't be out there a certain time. Um, the, the, the whole system was designed to look like a prison. So it was a housing experiment. We exp- So what we're doing is we, we're teaching young black men and women to be okay with prison. That's why I used to hear mm-hmm. niggas say, I don't give a fuck about going to jail. You know why they don't? Because their house look like it. So when you get locked up, it's not so foreign for you. The word. Exactly. You might so, have your own room now. Exactly. So <laughs> exactly. So what people don't understand is systematically we've been programmed, it's been drilled into so a lot of people who've never been black before, I don't know if they'll ever get that experience. Yeah. But when you've never been black before, it's difficult for you to understand the things that we have to deal with on a day to day basis and the trials we have to go through. So when I speak up for black people, it's not I'm condoning what we do because I think that some of the things we do are terrible. But if you ask me, do I understand why we do it? Yes, I absolutely understand why we do it. Why does a 16-year-old kid feel like he he has to kill somebody as soon as he get a gun? Because this is his first opportunity in life to feel empowered. You understand? So one thing about empowerment, it can come in so many different ways. My son, he's been selected to be the, the spelling be representative for his entire grade level. So he feels empowered. So when he spells something right, he feels strong. A person who never felt that. And when he gets some, he made his bed today. My son is six years old. He made his bed today by himself the way his mother makes it. And he grabbed me by my hand and woke me in and said, I want to show you. And I was like, damn, you made your whole bed like this? This is incredible. He made bed better than I made the bed. Mm-hmm. He felt empowered because he did something that was great. And he was yeah. so proud. Right? So you give a, a 14-year-old kid a pistol. I, I shot a gun when I was... 19 years old, my man Gino, I was in Atlanta at Bankhead, on Bankhead, um, in the middle of the hood. He said, bro, you never shot a gun before? He gave me a 45. He showed me how to shoot it. I shot it there. It was so much power that I said to myself, I never want to touch a gun again. I've never touched a gun since that day because 
I mean, obviously for your home, you got your, you know, but I've yeah. never been a gun guy from mm-hmm. that day because I felt too empowered and it scared me. And me at 19 years old, I might have been, I was, ni- I was 19 years old. I was so empowered that it scared me. And I thought to myself, what if I was 14 years old? Mm-hmm. That type of power can be addicted to somebody who has always felt uh, and who doesn't understand oppressed. where they, how yeah. they use their power. So now you haven't noticed the Nick. You can always tell. And, and a lot of people, I was running around my manager, my old manager, Greg, he's my lawyer. But we was running around and I was telling him like, let's get up out of here. He was like, why? I said, because that dude got a gun. He's like, how you know? Because he's so ready to get in anything mm-hmm. that happens. He's like, what happened? What? What? And I'm mm-hmm. like, he got the gun and let's get out of here because he want to shoot somebody. Mm-hmm. He's like, how do you know that? Because that's the type of power you can see it. Yeah. So what we got to understand is when you don't, when you got a, a community full of people who are disadvantaged and who don't feel like any, they feel so oppressed, they feel so underappreciated that when they get that sense of power, they there could be their ability to stop what you're doing and to control you at any given time is addictive and it's scary. So a lot of times, um, they say in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, there's so many principal murders, mm. and principal murders means that it's about disrespect like you mean to tell me that you're 16 years old and you feel so disrespected for somebody that you throw your whole life away i went and so i went and talked to prisoners here in miami at the everglades commit facility a correctional facility last weekend guy spoke to me said bro i've been here since i was 17 years old i've been here 35 years another guy told me he said i've been here 39 years i'm up for parole in, in nine months pray for me and i'm just like what could you have done that bad when you was nineteen years old? But it's it's this sense of empowerment that you have when you don't when you feel like the whole world is against you and you feel like nothing. Mm-hmm. This is my first opportunity. This metal and it's a it's a it's a, it's a, my it's a fucked me. up ideology that gets beaten our head by by OGs oh, yeah. per se. You know, I always tell niggas sometimes you got the wrong teachers. Oh, like I had to un- unlearn mad shit through my life. That's mm-hmm. why I, I get mad when people. Like, for instance, today, when I asked about rape culture, people was like, oh, if you don't know what it is, then you're probably a rapist. I'm like, shut the fuck up, yeah, you like, fucking bum. Yeah, like, <laughs> because it, because it's I'm most, trying to educate myself. Because most people don't know that, that this new thing. Basically, if a woman is a certain level of intoxicated, even if she seems coherent, she got a case when you when she say uh, you rape me, Holy and shit. you might say to yourself, "Oh no, you telling yourself in court and go to jail." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're telling you, the truth. You tell the truth. Yeah, you telling the truth. Not realizing, bro. Now that's rape. You know what I mean? When I was growing up, bro, niggas was running trains on girls hundred miles an hour. Don't tell me. So a lot of guys don't understand that now. If she had a few to drink, that's rape now. Mm-hmm. So you cannot. You got to be educated so to ask a question is not ignorant. To not ask one is. So we say that to say this. Drink green juice when you about to get that pussy. You understand? <laughs> um, <laughs> I say don't do no change, bro. Oh, that shit man. is dead. Don't do it no more. Let's get in the... How did you first start working with Usher? Um, you know what it was? Um, Usher was looking for producers. He wasn't even looking for artists at the time. He looked for producers. Um, guys by the name of the Corner Boys, D-Town, and... Um, PM, I used to sleep on their couch in Atlanta trying to make it. And they put, they remixed the record for him. That's back when everybody was doing a remix album. J-Lo had did one. Jermaine Dupree did one. Puff did one. Right. Everybody was doing those remix albums. And um, Usher was about to do a remix album after 8701. So he, they remixed his song called If I Want To. And it was, if I want to, I'll take you from your man. And I rapped on it. 
And when he first heard it, he was like, oh, this nigga can rap. Like, so he invited me to perform at a showcase. After I performed at the showcase, he loved me, ended up signing me as a rapper to his label. A lot of people don't really understand. Like, I really, my first love is hip hop. So I always rap first. And I'm signed as a rapper. And then what happened was I needed money. So we was really like, you know, um, we was showing up to Usher office every day trying to get some money. Like, niggas was looking at us like, we, you know, I ran around with a bunch of goons, you know, Ken Underwood and Cersei, them niggas was like legends in Atlanta and the street shit. So I, we was like, yo, we pulling up. It was my management at the time. So we pulling up to us, how us offices like, oh, what's up with that money at? So nigga got to give me something. I signed my whole family. You know, I'm signed. I'm on TV with you. We did uh, How I'm Living and BT The Diary and <laughs> MTV Diary. And they can see me on 106 The Park hanging out with you. So back in the day, it wasn't so much knowledge about the industry. This is back in 2003, 2004, back when people thought, if you're on TV, you're rich. You're rich. They like, think that now. I tell a bitch, I see you got to leave that bum-ass nigga alone. <laughs> but now I think people are a little bit more hip because you hear somebody say... This nigga just signed. He ain't got money like that. Back in the day, if you were signed, niggas in your family was like, oh, no, he's a millionaire. He's a millionaire. Like, Donald Trump and niggas. Exactly. So I went to Usher and I was like, oh, I need some money. Finally, he shows up. I'm like, bro, I need money. You signed me. I ain't getting no advance. I ain't getting nothing. He said, look, it's not how the game works. You signed to Us Records. I'm doing a deal with J Records. That's my, um, I'm a subsidiary of J. When I do the deal, that's when you get your advance. But in the meantime, how about I give you an opportunity to empower yourself? And he, he gave me this track that Just Blaze did. He said, the way you rap, I can tell that you can write because you rap very melodic. Mm. This is before, this is back in the day. This wasn't when everybody was singing, rapping. This Nobody was singing, rapping. Mm-hmm. I mean, ja Rule was like the only nigga. So you know is Rico I mean? claiming the no, same no, 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 rap? No, 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 no. I'm just saying I was doing it. Not yeah, saying yeah. anybody heard me and did it because of me, but I was actually doing it as well. So, um... Not as much as them. It wasn't as melodic, but he told me, yo, write a song. And his exact words to me was, I'm going to sell 10 million this time. <laughs> so you write this song and you're going to be good. And I wrote it and, you know, and it worked out. Make it sold 10 million. <laughs> yeah, 29 million worldwide. Holy so it was shit. like crazy how it changed my life. You know, recoup the publishing deal. I did like the first option. It was ridiculous. Like, like crazy how things switched around for me because of that situation. So yeah, um, that was my initial entry into the game, into the business. And I learned so much about the business and about working, being around Usher. It humbled me so much because I was around a nigga who was the biggest nigga in the world. And I never seen a person work as hard as he did. Mm. So now when I'm around artists who have nothing and they show up late to sessions and they sleeping the whole time and they're not really focused and dedicated, I'm just like, oh, bro, you won't be here long. I used to think that now it's like different because the guy, these guys be having incredible runs and they be lazy as fuck. And I'm mm. looking and knowing that they don't really work hard, they don't respect it. It's different. But but I watch Usher and Usher is one of my closest friends and even to this day. But to watch his work ethic even now. Mm-hmm. It's nothing like it, bro. I think Puff and Usher, uh, I know Jay, but I'm not tight with Jay like that. But so, but I heard he's the same way. But I think that Puff and Usher, as far as people I know personally, are tied for like the hardest working people, like people hundred million plus in a bank, cash, mm-hmm. liquid, and you see them work like they got nothing, and that's just something that's admirable. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got the best tutelage. I got best teaching you could ever have by sitting mm-hmm. under homeboy. That's official. That's official. I like Usher, man. I like Usher. Usher definitely still Usher got them like hands he, too. Oh. Usher beat the hell. Yo, you know what, man? <laughs> I for, yo, I keep forgetting this story, man. Usher fucked somebody up in Miami years ago, man. Holy shit, yeah. son. Usher. I seen Usher beat somebody up Usher, in Miami Usher years beat up ago. Bobby Brown. 
imagine. I'm not bullshit. Usher beat Bobby Usher Brown beat up. up. Bobby Brown. Bobby Brown was drunk. Usher went to his birthday party in L.A. Bobby was drunk, talking some shit to Usher. Usher thought he was joking. Bobby was dead ass. Started pushing Usher in the chest, and he said, "Yeah, little nigga." He put his arm around Usher, put him like in the head, like, "Like, yeah, nigga, don't ever disrespect me. I'm the king. You my son." Holy shit! Us kind of like pushed back, two piece Bobby Brown. Pop up, quick. He did it so fast, everybody in the party thought they was play fighting. <coughs> yeah, us don't fuck around. Nah, I like Usher. I, I can tell anybody, Usher, um, anybody, pretty Haitian nigga with a complex. <laughs> Usher will fuck you up, bro. That's mad for nah, me, for son. Real. I see. I see Usher fight fight a nigga in my hand. Nigga threw Usher ass on the ground though, but um, <laughs> Usher bodyguards ended up fixing him. But Usher definitely initiated the fight. So like definitely don't want. He, he was with it. We was in Pittsburgh and and we had a, this was on his um, truth tour and it was after party and I remember it was a big uh like theater where the party was. So the curtain, you know, the big curtains of the mm-hmm. theater. So uh, basically, he told the guy, "I didn't get my back in yet." This is the, how long ago it was. The nigga Usher is sitting there talking about a back end, right? Yeah, yeah. So he said, I ain't get my back end yet, so um, don't open the curtain yet. We got to handle the business. The nigga told us, like, fuck out of here. Open the curtain anyway. Usher had a hat on, took it off. Threw it at the nigga face. Bam. The nigga was so startled that he picked the hat off, off the ground and handed it to Usher. <laughs> like he, and, and the whole shit, he was like, oh, shit. Like, not like, oh, this nigga hit me in the face. It was like, oh, let me get this nigga hat for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Craziest shit I ever saw. Like, oh, this nigga Usher ready to pop off. Usher is a thug. Nah, Usher don't give a fuck. Usher, you a thug, man. We knew, nigga. We knew. <laughs> Motherfucking Cavs owners a thug. He'll play it cool with you. Nah. You going upside your motherfucking head. You try oh, dancing niggas. I'm scared of all them dancing nah, niggas that can do backflips. Some niggas mad strong. We was hanging out. Um, I remember me and Mario. I was doing Mario's album years ago. And um, Khaled, when he used to have the... Uh, Temple. It used to be a mansion. That's his birthday party. It used to be a mansion. Back door. Everybody walking up. Trey Song's about to walk in. I'm with Mario. Mario was scared as shit. Like super scared. Like, oh, these niggas back here talking shit. I'm like, bro, what the fuck you scared? Niggas told Trey Songs, yo, what you what you doing? You on my back? He's like, nah, I'm just trying to get through, bro. And the nigga said, who is you? And before he could say Trey Songs, the nigga said, I don't give a fuck who you are. Trey Songs swing off on the nigga right away. Wow. <laughs> Sick. Oh, Mario? No, he swung off with some random oh, oh, nigga. Oh, Mario oh was, yeah, that trade, so trade after, with after, after that happened, Mario was like, well, let's get up out of here. I'm like, nigga, we ain't going nowhere. We going to the party. Mm-hmm. But that shit was the craziest shit. So I always tell people, like, bro, y'all be thinking niggas saying Sam Cooke was one of the craziest gangsters ever. Otis Redding was not. What the fuck does that mean, motherfucker? Like, niggas sing. Melody, they be thinking, like, yo, a nigga sing, so he chokes. Like, he just happens to sing. I don't listen niggas- to nothing these pussy niggas say. <laughs> We'd like to thank today's sponsor, Bevel, for supporting tax season. Spare yourself the battle of bumpy skin by getting a Bevel razor. And the Bevel kit doesn't just give you a clean and safe shave. It's a healing one, too. Bevel was made for people with coarse, curly hair and sensitive skin. The facts that are up to 80% of black men and women experience razor bumps. And up to 30% of all men and women experience razor bumps as well. And part of that is because you're not using the right razor for your skin. So make sure you be safe on your quest and you get a bevel. Multi-blade razors can cause irritation and bring out those painful razor bumps. Hair removal creams are messy have foul odors, and can leave you with burns and discoloration. But Bevel, the Bevel razor uses a single blade, and the full kit includes the premium oil to protect your skin before you shave, a hydrate and shave system, a high-quality badger brush to lift those hairs, and post-shave restoring balm to repair your skin. Be safe, though. 
you too can achieve clear and smooth skin by using dermatologist approved bevel shaving system and shaving smarter and bevel wants you to look your best so they're going to give you your first month of bevel subscription for free go to getbevel.com slash tax season and sign up today that's g-e-t-b-e-v-e-l dot com slash tax season be safer though get bevel Listen, motherfuckers that can't defend themselves gonna always try to tell you exactly about defending yourself. Exactly, and I don't ever try to defend myself against niggas who can't defend themselves. Exactly, they you know what I mean. I had to learn that. Exactly, these niggas can't. I seen a I white seen boy. I just seen a white boy from niggas, and I seen singing niggas staying hit niggas in the face with bottles and hold it down. Come on, yeah, Nick. I seen motherfucking. Um, damn, what the fuck was my point? I was saying before that shit. I seen the white boy. The white boy came on my Twitter and was like, yo, how you gonna interview this pussy Beanie Siegel after he got knocked out? I'm like, what? That's disrespectful. I'm like, my nigga, like, Any, son. Anybody stand? I never got knocked out, but son, I done got, niggas done fucked me up <laughs> a couple times and still don't want to fight me. Exactly. Like, the thing about it is, is. If you stand there, anybody can get hit in the face. Yeah. Just like anybody can get robbed. Just like anybody can get laid down. It just can happen to you. So if you're standing right there and I'm looking around and somebody walks up and punch you in the face, does that make you pussy? No, but only a weird dude that doesn't know that exactly. is going to so say that. Make a comment. So when I'm watching the comments about it, I'm yeah. like, holy shit. I heard people saying I could never listen to Beanie Siegel again after this. And I'm like, why? Nigga walked up behind him and snuffed him. Yeah, like, exactly. what the fuck do you mean? How like, many times have we seen live footage of Beanie Siegel jumping in the crowd? Yeah. How many times has Beanie Siegel got arrested for shooting people? Exactly. <laughs> Beanie Siegel got shot by the police. Like, yeah. this nigga was like, this nigga really is. You can't say shit about Beans, bro. I don't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to. You can't say nothing about Beans. But to hear th- them say that was the reason that he was pussy now, like, I was like. Wow. You you definitely don't know. I seen him do it with Shaw Glizzy when he got robbed for his chain. They was like, yeah, and I was like, I was like, yo, man, I hope, I hope this nigga's watching me write this. Like, <laughs> don't be ashamed, my nigga. Anybody hey, could get robbed. On, Give it up. You don't die. Do? What are you gonna do? Like, <laughs> he got his shit back. He went and got his shit back. Yo, my thing is this, my nigga. And even if he wouldn't, got if it you back. Die, you kind of whack, my nigga. If you if you had a chance to just give it up, like seriously, for real, nigga, it's Thanksgiving in two months. You out here arguing, nigga, over some shit you can get again. Get it, get it, if get you die shit. over your chain, you a cornball. And for real, you how your shit in shorty. Nigga said that on Twitter. Some weird nigga retweet. I'm dying for my shit. I said congratulations. Forget Can't it. wait for your mom yeah. to put that GoFundMe up. Exactly. But yo, man, you wrote for Queen B. Mm-hmm. Queen Beyonce, man. How was that film? Did you realize you wrote for Queen B when you wrote for Queen B? You know the craziest shit. Um, I'm writing for for we was in the studio and I made a joke, and she laughed and like kind of pushed me, and I was stuck for like 20 seconds. I was like, yo, this shit is crazy. Beyonce just just pushed me laughing. <laughs> shit was crazy. Fuck me up. But she's like incredible like uh the crazy story about sweet dreams i did um a bunch of i think four songs on the on the sasha fierce album and um i haven't worked with beyonce since then you know mm-hmm. i work with every i'm i can proudly say i i, I work with every member of destiny's child you know mm-hmm. you know um i did michelle williams entire album and michelle ended up playing the album for beyonce which is w- what got me on the sasha mm-hmm. fierce album and then uh sasha fierce is what got me on to do motivation for Kelly Rowland and you know and we're in to do most of Kelly's album at, during that time but um 
I remember Beyonce came in a little bit late because she was uh, on a plane that was like circling around Miami because the weather was crazy. And she said, um, I was waiting in the studio. I could have easily left. I wrote this song that I thought was incredible. And I'm like, this is going to be the best song ever. And um, she was late. So I said, instead of me leaving, I, let me just write another song. So Jim pulled up this loop and I wrote Sweet Dreams. At the time, I called it Beautiful Nightmare. And B walked in. I was like, yo, she said she walked in looking like Beyonce, bro. I was like, she was floating across the room. <laughs> Her hair was blowing in the wind. It was like, she was looking like, you're like, yeah, that's Beyonce. Yeah. <laughs> so she said, I'm so sorry we late, but I went to, that's how much of a nice person she is. You got to remember, this is the biggest artist in the world, even at that time. Mm -hmm. And she was so humble and nice. She said to me, I'm sorry I'm late. I just had to come and show my face to show you that I would never stand you up. And I'm like, you Beyonce, you taking time out to be respectful enough to mm -hmm. do that. So she came and she was like, yo, um, I don't have time to sing and do anything, but I just wanted to be able to just say that because I got to go to Jay's show. This was here in Miami. Jay-Z was doing a Jay-Z and Friends with, with Mary J. Mm -hmm. This was opening night of their tour. So she said, um, uh, I got to go do this, go to Jay's show, but I just wanted to come by. I said, well, can I play you these songs? And she said, I really don't have much time, but go ahead. So I played it the first song I thought was going to be the most incredible song in the world. And... um she said, oh, that's nice. Then I played a beautiful nightmare. And she looked at um, Angie. She said, how much time we got, Angie? And she's like, we really don't have time. We got 30 minutes to get to the, you know, what's her name? But they had police escorts, you know, to take them to make sure they wasn't in traffic. She said, we got 30 minutes to get there. But it's like right down the street. This is where my studio was on South Beach. So American Airlines wasn't that far. But the traffic would have been crazy. So she said, um, she took her earrings off and took her heels off. And she cut Sweet Dreams in 15 minutes, bro. If you listen to Sweet Dreams and listen to the background, it's me singing all the background. She didn't even have time to <laughs> That's sing the background. Crazy. It's a male voice singing all the harmony notes and everything on the song. And that was like one of the most memorable moments to be able to watch Beyonce, such a professional, sit in a studio, sing a song in 15 minutes, end up being number one in like 28 countries. Like a huge hit for her. You know, a huge hit for me. Yeah. A life-changing moment for me. Just That's like, either. So when people think, when I think about Beyonce, I think about moments like that. When you look at somebody who loves it so much, that they were just moved by a lyric that much. Mm -hmm. and, and I remember um, clouds filled with stars cover the skies and it will remain not even, uh, I think I said not even death will break us part or something like, you know, do us part, not even death will do us part. What kind of dream is this? And I remember her kept saying that lyric to me, like that's just such a beautiful lyric. But for her to be so captivated by her words that she just had to sing, mm -hmm. That moved me because I'm like, you Beyonce and you still are moved by music that much that it, it affects you. It, it's not about money. It's not about fame. It's just about greatness. And I think that um, I wish more artists thought and felt like that. I wish they really loved music like that and it did to them what it did for her at that moment. And I'm just happy to be able to say I was a part of, of her legacy because at the end of the day, um, she's still performing the song on tours now. And, and I think that's going to go down in history as, as a, a, a real big record for her. And I just think that that's cool to me. Like, forget, I made close to a million dollars off that song, but that, that's not the part that, mm -hmm. that I, I like to talk about. I like to talk about the, the look on her face when she heard it. Oh, and I wrote a song for her called Radio. Remember when she did Radio, bro? I, I remember she, when I wrote the song, she came in and, um, we were at Rock the Mic and she walked in and she started jumping up and down listening to it. I be on my hotline like every day. She was so excited. And I remember looking at D-Town like, is this really happening? <laughs> like, Beyonce is that excited about a song? That that moved me. So when I think about B, I think about things like that. Because it's like, wow. Mm -hmm. She still is affected by, by a great song. 
that way after all this time. How do you feel about the the whole <clears throat> the stigma and the whole everything around rappers having writers? Man, you know, um, didn't 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 DMC write all the runs rhymes and shit? You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like. Um, me as a, me, I, I prefer to write for myself, right? It's a Sugar Hill Gang, they ain't yeah, right. They ain't right. But but I prefer to write for myself because I really love the writing, and I just that's what I do. Mm-hmm. But I'm not opposed to when you think about Kanye's creative process. Kanye is in a room with a bunch of people, and he just bounces ideas off them, and he loves that. And I think mm-hmm. that the, the people that that remain consistent throughout years and years and years are people who are able to bounce ideas because they're able to stay current. Exactly. So when you look at Drake, it's, it's no way a nigga could be that consistent on his own. And I'm not trying to Keep say... explaining this to I'm people. I'm not trying to say that a nigga had to write for Drake. Because I, I don't know if a nigga really was writing all of his shit. Mm-hmm. But what I do know is that there's nothing wrong with collaboration and be able to be around people and they to give you ideas. Yeah, and get inspired. Ideas. Yeah, yeah. That's an incredible thing to do. I can say that uh, I've written... All of my, most of all of my hits by myself, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to getting in a room with some incredible people and creating. I think mm-hmm. that's genius. I think that's brilliant. So, um, it's nothing wrong with that. I, I think that um, the people who last the longest are the ones who weren't afraid to do that. Jay Z, who's who's able at this at this era of the game to be able to say, I got Timbaland, Pharrell, Swiss Beats, all in, all in the room right now creating an album with me. Mm-hmm. You when he did the Magna Carta shit, and he was just like. That's just how, that's what I'm on right now. I want to create with these people. And they were able to give him their energy and he can give him this energy. And then Nas came through and then just Timberlake came through. And mm-hmm. Frank Ocean was sitting in the vibe. And then, you know, James Fauntleroy had come through in their vibe. Like, that's just creative. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, if you if you feel like the Ghost Rider is the key, then why is it that we have it? No shade to Homeboy, but we ain't heard from Quentin Miller. I've been told no like, so, going to hear that. So he's... Like the common denominator is the Kanye, the common denominator, com- common denominator is the Drake. Yeah. To not accept and understand that it's just somebody's own stubbornness, and that's no shade to Meek or anybody else for that matter. But I just think that um I don't I don't knock it. I don't, I feel like creativity is creativity. We we know who gonna consistently be the guy. Like we really didn't want to hear <clears throat> Quentin singing "Roll Through the Six of My Walls." No. Like, we heard it. It didn't no, sound no, it like good. Drake. Man. Also, also, what you gotta understand too, when you're referencing records, right? References don't mean you wrote the whole thing. It mm-hmm. just means that you're the guy in the booth at this particular time. I could be shooting you lines, and you could be like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna say that." Oh yeah, say this. Blah, blah, blah. And no, and I might go in and do the whole thing over anyway. But mm-hmm. you just never know who contributed what just because of a vocal being down. I think that's our ignorance in in, in our hip hop culture, not understanding roles. Mm-hmm. For instance, what a producer is. Like a lot of guys will look at me and say, "All right, cool, but well, you keep getting producer awards and you're a producer, but you don't make beats." I'm like, "Yeah, I don't make beats, but I produce records." And if you put me in a room with a a, a good producer, I can make him a great one. So when you put, like, when I, I've watched Puff produce, I watched Jermaine Dupree produce. Mm-hmm. Now, Jermaine Dupree does work program drums, but I watched them be able to say, take that part out. This is what I do. I'll say, I don't like that part. I add this part. That bass line doesn't work for me. Let's come up with this little, this, add an 808 here, mm-hmm. put a snare here. And then I'm actually writing and producing the record and producing the vocal and putting the record together. Now, when I leave the room, that same track is not the same track as it would be when I'm in the room. Mm-hmm. So I'm a producer. What happened in hip hop culture is it was two people in the room. It was a rapper and it was a guy making a beat. So they would say, that's the producer. Mm-hmm. Not understanding that Quincy Jones produced the entire walk, um, um, 
uh, off the wall album, an entire thriller album without touching one instrument. Mm. You understand? Puff produced the entire No Way Out um, and Ready to Die album without playing one instrument. And greatly. Him and D Dot. Him <laughs> and D Dot. You know, because yeah. D Dot is an incredible producer as well who doesn't track. So understanding what production really is is the key to, you know, and I think there's so much ignorance in what we do because of hip hop. Hip hop was like, there's two people in the room. There's a rapper and there's a guy making a beat. So the guy making the beat is the producer. Yes, in that scenario, he most likely is a producer. But even then, what if the rapper is saying, take this part out, add this part, turn this bit? He's actually producing the song and that guy's making the beat. Yeah. He's a programmer. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of ignorance. And I think people kind of don't understand the roles in the business and they, they kind of like lose sight of what really, what it's really about. And that's why, um, not to plug my, my, my music conference, that's why that was important for me to do my, the We Love Music conference. It was incredible. Um, first, first one and next year is going to be even bigger. But just to, to teach people and educate people how to create music and, and the real things that go into creating and sculpting and developing and cultivating a song. I think, um, you would do yourself a disservice to not educate yourself on what the inner workings of a music, of a, of a musical composition is. Mm. A lot of guys just feel like, oh, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a producer. I'm a writer. I'm a this. Not understanding what's the top line writer. What's a, we're all a writers. Mm -hmm. When we're writing, I'm saying you might write chords. He might write music. So when he plays a chord, he's writing chords. When I write the top line, that's the top line. We all writers, but a top line means I'm writing a lyric and melody. Uh, production or a track guy might means you're writing music. So um, it's just to be able to understand your roles, you can benefit yourself a lot more and then you won't get fucked over when it comes to splits and it comes to what you're worth and what you deserve mm -hmm. and what you should earn on a song. And I think a lot of guys, just like I said, they just get in the game just to be like some shit they've seen on TV and they don't respect it and honor it enough to educate themselves. Mm -hmm. When you educate yourself and you know more, nobody can ever get over on you. And when you love something, if you like again, if you love a woman, you want to know everything about her that makes her happy. But even this new culture don't even understand that. Like I was working with a rapper and I, I, I made a song for him, and um, my homie Brian had this artist and he's like, "Oh, I like that one, but I don't like that one for the bitches because I don't really talk to bitches like that." I'm like, well, "How the fuck you talk to bitches? <laughs> like, what type of nigga is you? You know what I mean?" So I just feel like um, we just lost sight of of a lot of things in this era and this culture. Like we just they just lost respect. For Let's get on R and B, man. <laughs> R&B is over, is it? <laughs> no, no, man. I don't think it's over. It's like, I just think it's I, I shifted. I don't know what's I going on. I think it's on. changed. I think it's this melancholy. Everybody's doing the same. Like, everybody's doing that same flow now, and that's, like, what's accepted. And it's, like, a, it's no real way to gauge between who's an R&B and who's a singer. Who's But when you listen to Trey songs, you know, even though he does some of the, the hip-hop yeah. stuff, too, but to the core of who he is... He's a crooner. When you listen to Chris Brown to the core of who he is, he's a crooner. When you listen to, you know, the Usher, you can hear that No Limit shit if you want to. But at the end of the day, when you hear the rest of it, he's a crooner. You know, so obviously people do what they want to do to, I guess, fit in. And I'm not going to knock nobody for that because I don't got to take care of their children. They got to take care of their own children. But um, I don't think R&B is gone. R&B lives in everything everybody else does. I where's think that, the, where's the, the substance and the essence of it is a little bit gone and it's turned into AC. So a lot of records have turned into adult, adult contemporary that weren't necessarily uh, adult contemporary vibe. Mm. Now it's like a certain level of love and passion is taken away from R&B music because people are so in denial about how they truly feel about a woman. Like, you know, when I first heard Chris Brown, 
when a rich nigga wants you. <laughs> yeah, I loved it and was like, this is the worst shit ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I loved it. But I was like, you hear the shit that niggas is singing yeah, now? Like, yeah. and your nigga can't do <laughs> nothing for you. These hoes ain't loyal. These hoes ain't loyal. And he freaked the shit out of the shit. But it was like, yo, what has R&B turned yeah, to? Like, man. it's no more. We were each other. Yeah, yeah. Had a few one night stands. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I don't hear that type of R&B no it's more, different. man. It's, it's different. It's almost so. Much, it's almost to the point where if you sing too good, you you it don't work no more. Mm. It's like Damn. mediocrity has become accepted. That might be real too. Man, that's exactly. You can't sing good no if more. You, if you sing too good, it's like it's dated. Mm. You understand? I signed this new girl named Texas. Um, probably one of the most incredible artists and singers I've ever worked with, easily. And I'm working with Beyonce, Brandy, Usher, Fantasia. You know, some of the most credible singers, Tank, like some of the most incredible singers in the world I work with. <clears throat> and this girl is that good. But it's just like finding a walk in a thin line to be able to say, I could, I'm going I'm to show you how great she sings, but we got to figure out how to make it this youthful, this current. But one thing about me also, I'm always able to come up with a subject matter that's challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, when you listen to a They Don't Know a Bitches Be Like or something like that, you're like, Damn, I can't believe the nigga said that. And that's what I'm doing with her project and with a lot of different projects. So it's about finding a way to still be great, still be you. But you got to capture the listener. You can't just... The problem is people say it's R&B dying. No, no. Niggas is making the same type of R&B song that they made back in 1998. And you can't do that no more. You got to challenge yourself to say something that hasn't been said before. Or say the same thing in a way that never been said before. Yeah. And that's the difference. So a lot of guys is writing the same song a hundred times over. And they wonder, oh, but they don't appreciate real music. Nah, bro, you're writing the same old school song instead of talking the way people talk now. That's the difference. Mm. Definitely agree. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. It just it just fucked me up, man. Like, I like, you know, I, I like, you know, the older I get, you know, I'm an old nigga now. I'm 31. You know, um, um, like... I'm like, yo, I'm listening to all my old R&B, and I'm like, yo, who do I listen to today? Like, who is these niggas? Like, you know, I tried to get into Tory Lanez, and I like some of his music. I think he, I think he could write. You know what I think Tory Lanez is? I think Tory Lanez is a good mimicker. I think he want people to know how to mimic people well. You know what I mean? Because I listen, I'm like, this shit sound like this person. This shit sound like that person. This shit sound like that person. Sound, and it'd be good songs, though. But it just... All sounds like it's uh, Quincy Jones, from somebody Quincy else's. Jones has the most incredible quote. He said, a thief steals, a genius borrows. Mm. I think that Tory Lanez has mastered it's the essence of borrowing things that he admired and he listened to and, yeah. and making it his own. Mm. Because when you hear Tory Lanez, you know it's Tory. Yeah, that's true. That's the difference between him and most people. And that's the reason why he's going to be consistently great, in my mm. opinion. I think he's going to continue to be great because, yeah, he borrows from things that inspire him. But he doesn't mimic them. It's like he's borrowing from a. If I borrow from six different things, then by the time I say it, it it's sounds mine. like one new unique yeah. thing. Now, obviously, like when 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 Drake first came out, everybody said, "Oh, he sounds like Kanye and and Wayne mixed together." Right now, you don't hear either one of them mm-hmm. in this shit because. But the only thing you can compare it to, so that's the same thing I think with Tori, is that you can compare it to so many different things. But after a while, you realize, nah, he's him. No, I know the nigga good. When he dropped that motherfucking controller remix, I was like, damn, this shit good as a motherfucker. Crazy. I said, this shit is good. Like the first time, as soon as I heard it, I said, this shit good. He he cooked this. I'm a a big fan of Tory Lane. I think he's he's like, I think you could put him in that genius caliber when Mm -hmm. it comes to creativity and his um, ability to paint a picture. Rico dropped the desert. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, but nah, nah. I, I like Tory Lanez. It's just so confusing sometimes. I, I hear and I'm like, I hear something. I'm like, this just sounds like somebody. Oh, this just sounds like somebody. But I'm like, the nigga is really good though. Yeah, like, that's one thing you could tell. Yeah, he really good in the midst of it. Like this yeah. nigga's good. You know, Kaylani what I mean? is really good too. Who? Kaylani. Kaylani. I never. I never. Um, you got I never, into her music. Yeah, nah, she, I never she, got into her music. She's really good. Her, her tone and execution. Who's your top five new artists today? Um, new acts. Um. I'm gonna have to, yeah, Tori for sure. I like Kaylani too. Um, Denzel Curry. Mm-hmm. I really like what he's doing. Um, who else? Let me think. And who else do I like? Um, you don't fuck with Little Yachty? Nah. <laughs> no shade. I, I don't really like his music. Yeah. Um, what else? Who else? Who else we like? Who we rocking with? I ain't gonna lie, I listen to Soul Soul Town <laughs> on XM Radio. Soul Town. It's a number of music from the fifties and sixties. Mm. That's what I be vibing to every day. But it's some like I say, Kaylani Toy Lanes, Denzel Curry on some rap okay. shit. Um huh. Oh, I, I fuck with Bryson. I think Bryson is dope. Mm-hmm. Um Where's Bryson, man? You know I seen three pictures of that nigga my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> he's so, like the most famous Cognito yeah, nigga in the world. Yeah, like he be mad low and, and shit. He hides in like plain he hide sight. The club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he's not really um social. He, I ain't mad at him. He's like, I just said, man, social media fucking up a lot of niggas' careers, yeah, yeah, yeah. man. Yeah. Niggas start opening their mouth, they start exposing themselves. Exactly. You like what? But, but <laughs> it's like it's, it's fucked up because if you don't say anything, then people forget you so fast, right? It's crazy. It's fucked up. It used to be like I remember when Usher would do an album and then go away for two, three years. That was the hell shit. And you miss him. And then when he come back, it was like, Usher's back. And you be like, oh, yeah. shit. Like, you know what I mean? Now it's like, bro. You, you too long, <laughs> nigga. You will be like, forgotten. Bro, you'll drop a single and two months later, and you'll be like, whatever happened? To-? You'll be like, yo, my nigga. Real shit. I went to Jamaica for the weekend. Real shit. Like, you know, so it's it's different. The game is different. The game is totally different. You're it's right. tough, man. It's You're really 100% tough. correct. But what, what what do you what do you got going on next? Um, <clears throat> writing. I'm I'm doing a lot. I'm back on the writing shit. I, I don't I don't think I want to do another album, another project for myself. Mm-hmm. I think I got that on my system, and I had fun. I think I made a classic with my album. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think that uh, you don't want to force yourself on people. I don't feel like people accepted me in that lane, mm-hmm. and I'm fine with that. But I'm developing my artist Texas. I just did um, August Alcina, kept working on Kevin Gates, working on French Montana. Uh, me and Usher doing a bunch of stuff together now. Trey Songs did a bunch of stuff with Trey Songs. Um, Zayn Malik from One Direction did a All bunch right. of records with him. But my passion is my music conference, the We Love Music Conference. And I'm. Why do you have that? Um, basically, it's just like a workshop for artists, producers, writers, um, engineers, managers, and it's like um, classes, interactive classes. We actually learn real traits and not just. A bunch of, you know, you can make it and this, this, and that. So the We Love Music Conference is very important to me because I feel like it's my legacy. It's an opportunity for me to um, do something I really am I'm passionate about, which mm-hmm. is instilling instilling power and, and knowledge and information into people and to people who really want want it. And um, at the same time, making it into a business. And, and it's a very lucrative business. Um, also writing scripts. I'm reading a book right now called Save the Cat by Blake Snyder mm-hmm. and, and learning how to write my own screenplay. So I've been writing screenplays. 
developing that. And then my artist, Texas, the female R&B singer that I have, who I'm super excited about. I feel like she's the future. Texas, she sounds like she has like a huge booty or something. She does. <laughs> How the fuck I knew? Yeah. I, went, I just said Texas. Hey. That's what I think. I hear Texas yeah. big ass. But she's a 22-year-old singer who's right. like incredible. Like, as long like, as she got talent. No incredible, bro. Like not regular. too many bitches with big asses and no talent out there <laughs> requiring shit. No more, shit. yo. Requiring way too much. Requiring too much. Twenty five hundred. Up talking about how much followers you got. <laughs> Bitch told me how many followers she had. I, I couldn't breathe for about five minutes. Like, Lost my whole chest. I was, my lungs. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Can't feed but, herself. You but know. yeah, shout out to all the ladies with rotund buttocks out there, man, <laughs> and um, great eyelashes, man, and great makeup, man, and uh, a lot of followers and likes, man. Nothing to offer the community, you know what I mean? But pussy, can't you know cook, I mean? can't cook enough, Yeah, man. can't even do shit. These bitches is in front of stoves, heavy wet. Empty stove, oh, head be with so drawers on. How you get wag? They frying chicken. How you got wag head and wag pussy, and that's all you like. You got at least <laughs> have some good pussy. Yeah, they don't, even, they don't even care about having sex no more. They look so good in them pictures. They just own the niggas. They take four pictures by a motherfucking pool. Niggas start thinking <laughs> they got to fly their ass out. Meanwhile, the bitch be taking seven spirit um flights to get to L.A. from New York. <laughs> you know what I mean? Four connections. She that's bitch done stopped take, in North Carolina, uh, I told, Denver. I told the judge, so yo, don't, don't take the picture when you first class. Take the picture the other 19 times when you was yeah. in 47B. And take the picture on the bus, too, because it's all public transportation. <laughs> <laughs> I had to catch myself. I was in, I was in first class. I was like, that shit is, this shit is all public transportation. Exactly. I got a private jet. Exactly. Fuck, fuck this bum ass chicken salad y'all got on Delta, nigga. Exactly. Nah, but, um, <laughs> that's motherfucking Rico Love, man. Tax season. Motherfucking turn the lights on. Make sure y'all check out I Love Music Conference. Yeah, man. Rico Love, man. Appreciate you, man. Thank you for coming you through. For me. Appreciate your time, knowledge. Man. And shout out to Ebony, who always sending me Rico Love videos. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Tax Season was produced by Jonathan Menna and executive produced by Chris Morrow. This is an official Loudspeakers Network production.